0: Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Great to have you with me at Always. Let me start with a correction and apology from my last podcast. I did an entire podcast about Liz Cheney and the Republican Party, and I kept saying she was from Wisconsin. No, she's famously from Wyoming. I knew that my brain and my mouth disengaged. Thank you, Randy Moore for bringing this to my attention. So re-write in your brain, what I said about Wisconsin, I'm sure it's a fine state. It's just that Liz Cheney is not from Wisconsin. She's from Wyoming. All right, let's dive in. I want to talk to you about some military affairs in this podcast. And I know that's a stretch for a lot of Americans today. The fact is we... Don't tend to think in terms of the military as much. Most Americans don't have someone they know who's in the military. That was, it's a big change from the way it was years ago Vietnam, World War II, Korea. Uh, almost every family had some, at least distant member, member that was in the military. Um, military affairs filled the newspapers. People knew about military lore. Most folks could identify certain planes, certain battleships, certain aircraft carriers, knew the names of of, let's say, during World War II, the Japanese generals, the German generals, the British generals, et cetera. But that, of course, has faded. It's the downside of a good thing, which is that uh, we have not been at massive wars throughout most of the last generation. I'm uh, a man who's uh, just at the upper level of middle age, and I, you know, didn't even, really, there wasn't a draft during my time. There have been some wars, some battles, especially wars of great length, Like in Afghanistan, but they didn't involve a massive number of Americans. They didn't require knowledge. They didn't fill the headlines every day, as happened during World War II. Also, we don't tend to have military history as much a field of study in our universities. That's unfortunate. Unless you major in history and take maybe one course in military history, we don't tend to know a lot about military history. Well, Uh, My point is not to rebuke the entire educational establishment and all Americans. My point is to say that we might want to focus a little bit more at the popular level on uh, military trends in our time. And here's why. I believe and a lot of experts believe uh, we may be heading towards a massive engagement, if not an outright war. Some say World War Three with China. The West is absolutely, at this point, heading towards a significant engagement with China. I'm talking about military. I'm talking about violence. The trends are all there. In fact, uh, one of the scholars that I relate to very well and learn a great deal from calls calls this Cold War 2.0. We, of course, had the original Cold War um, with the Soviet bloc, um, something I'm very attuned to because my father was assigned as the senior intelligence officer in Berlin. Germany during the Cold War, so I lived a lot of my teenage years behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, Because of that, absolutely free and independent, and no no, no different than living in downtown Dallas, except that you were um, in an outpost of freedom behind the Iron Curtain. Very, it it was very transforming to think that way and to recognize the virtues of freedom and what the West was trying to accomplish, and what have you. Uh, However, we are heading towards what might be, at its best, the Cold War 2.0 with China, and at its worst. First, it could be a hot war, which means absolute military engagement of a very destructive type. Let me give you some statistics that will confirm the trends that we are heading towards serious engagement at some level with China. Washington, D.C., meaning the military establishment and the politicians who uh, lead and guide the military, command the military, are shifting from a focus on the Middle East With our military approach, our military positioning, our strategies towards the Indo-Pacific, that obviously means the area around India and all around China, all of Asia, that's the term that's used for that part of the world, the Indo-Pacific. And it's pretty interesting if you'll watch Pentagon trends, if you'll watch military procurement, if you'll watch requests in budgets, you begin to see these priorities, the shift from the Middle East to the Indo-Pacific, very much played out. Uh, for example the navy for 2021 has ordered 850 anti-ship missiles okay standing alone that doesn't that doesn't mean much to us except that from 2016 to 2020 they only requested 88 So suddenly uh, they've gone up. what is that, 10 times? Almost 10 times to 850 anti-ship missiles. Clearly they're expecting naval battles. They're expecting naval engagements in places like the Straits of Hormuz, etc. Look it up. It's an important strategic point. Um, President Biden has said he wants to move 60% of U.S. sea power to, again, the Indo-Pacific. Why? It's about containing, engaging, backing off a, an a surging China, backing off a grasping China, backing off, by the way, a highly prosperous and highly militaristic China. Our allies in the region are doing likewise. They are realizing the threat. Uh, Japan is absolutely upgrading its military and doing so um, with transforming with its transformation of aircraft carriers. They're not just going to be helicopter bases, mobile helicopter bases. Uh, they're going to be much more. When Japan is upgrading its military, something's going on. Um, Australia is upgrading its military spending hardware present size by 40 percent Australia by forty percent There is an operation called FONOPs. It means Freedom of Navigation Operations. This is something that's often done in the military. It's often done in strategic parts of the world. You move ships, you sometimes even move cars, et cetera, uh, through areas where you want to fly the flag. Let me give you a quick example from my own background. When we lived in Berlin, when I was growing up, part of my father's job as an intelligence officer was to get in an American squad car with a military expert and exercise a right that the American military had to drive through East Berlin. I mean, there really wasn't much purpose in that. We just were exercising an option that we had negotiated. So he would drive through just to keep the lanes open. If American military didn't actually drive through East Berlin and, and monitor things um, in the way that had been negotiated by treaty, then obviously the East Germans and the Russians would have closed down those lanes. So you, you kept that open uh, in order to keep the lanes free, in order to keep the access to the lanes and to actually... Exercise your rights. Dad did this all the time. We were a little tense when he did it uh, because he was in East Germany, for heaven's sakes. And so there'd be an American military escort and he would be in his squad car. And I'm sure that I never was there, of course, but the Russians and East Germans were trailing them the whole time and maybe choppers overhead. It was that kind of a thing. All that to say that this is what happens on sea lanes as well. You have this thing called FONOPS, freedom of navigation operations, and they are the kinds of things that can be dangerous. A ship says, "We have the right to sail through the in in the China Sea. We have uh, the South China Sea. We have the right to uh, pull into a certain harbor. We have the right to use certain lanes. So we're going to send our ships in that direction. It's about freedom of navigation. They are maintaining their freedom." of navigation. However, it's very likely they're going to engage an enemy if they're engaging in those operations for the sake of assuring that an oppressive enemy or grasping enemy, a threatening enemy, doesn't shut down the lanes. So a number of our U.S. allies are increasing their FONOPs, freedom of navigation operations. Britain is absolutely doing this. Um, France is doing this. Germany is doing this, Uh, the number of uh, FONOP operations, that's redundant because that's what OP stands for, operations, but the number of Freedom of Navigation operations that they're engaging uh, in the the regions around China, particularly the South China Sea, huge, dramatic increase. And by the way, during the Trump administration, he did some very good things when it came to um, this part of the region and engaging China, as clumsy as it could sometimes be. He had developed new treaties, new defense treaties new agreements and operations with India, and believe it or not, with Vietnam. We don't think much of Vietnam as a military ally, uh, but recognizing the threat and wanting to be uh, in the U.S. orbit, so to speak, and maybe beyond that, India and Vietnam have both uh, become U.S. allies in this direction. Uh, And of course, in that part of the world, Uh, The real the real linchpin, the place to watch is Taiwan. As you know, Taiwan is an independent island right near China. Uh, The U.S. protects, helps protect China. The Obama administration spent 12 billion dollars giving military hardware to Taiwan. I think I just said that the military the US military protects China. No, obviously i meant Taiwan. <laughs> but all that to say Taiwan's the issue. In fact, one scholar, the same scholar that I pay attention to, says that uh Taiwan is this generation's West Berlin. It's the they used to call Berlin the outpost of freedom. Our movie theater on post was called the outpost. And so, uh this uh, Taiwan is this generation's West Berlin. It's the it's the free island, uh the democratic island right next to uh, essentially communist China that is being threatened. It just drives China crazy that Taiwan is independent. The U.S. supports it. And the the current premier of China has made it very clear that he intends to take, China, take Taiwan. He's made it very, very clear. Now, here's part of the problem. The U.S. Navy has approximately 298 ships. I'm sure naval experts will tell me, well, that includes this, that doesn't include that. But that's the number that's that's used in, in Pentagon conferences that I've attended and podcast by military experts and 298 ships. But they're spread around the world. China has 350 ships, and they all stay close to home. You know, they're not—they're not off the coast of San Francisco or what have you, for the most part. Um, they stay close to home, so they've got uh, almost a hundred more ships. Well, really, fifty-two more ships, but they're all packed in around uh, defending China and 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 you know, being that threatening force in the South China Sea that is what's moving Western powers to engage in freedom of operation, uh, freedom of navigation operations and what have you. Now, this state of the Navy is a concern, not only because we have fewer ships and they're spread all over the world, whereas China is concentrated right around its borders and its seas, but it's a dramatic decrease from what we've had before. During the Reagan administration, we had 594 ships. That's almost 300 more ships than we have now, and the Bi- and B- President Biden has said he wants to flatline defense spending now. Whenever an idiot like me starts talking about military lore, I start getting phone calls and from my buddies who are in the military. I have lots of them, obviously, living in D.C. and being a military brat and you know, writing some of the things that I've done and having been embedded with U.S. troops in Iraq and what have you. Uh, and they start to educate me, which I welcome. And they start to say, well, we don't need as many ships because our ships are more ambidextrous and they can do more things. And we're supported by greater air power. And we've got satellite technology that helps us be more." strategic and pinpoint and etc and i understand all that at the same time all i'm saying is the chinese have more ships concentrated right strategically where it needs to be to, to protect their homeland and cause hassles in the south china sea and and areas in indo uh the indo pacific the u.s has 300 less ships than it had long ago uh, not too long ago and president biden doesn't plan to increase military spending So all of this indicates that we are heading towards tensions of a military type with China. They are on the move. They want Taiwan. They would like in the next generation to be the world's premier power. The U.S. is perceived and actually is somewhat in decline. Now, some of you are going to say, Look, don't start trashing the U.S., Stephen. Don't don't lean liberal. <laughs> some of you will write me and say that kind of thing. Um, the U.S. is the greatest country in the world, and it's the greatest military power, and it's the strongest democracy that's ever existed in the world. And I understand all of those claims. The fact is that because of our division in government, uh, because of our the errors of some of our military incursions... Uh, because of some of our attempt at nation building with our military, rather than simply achieving military objectives, we tried to achieve peacekeeping and nation building with the military and, and failed uh, in those efforts. That's not what the military is made for. There's been a diminishing respect for the U.S. military uh, at home and worldwide. Uh, we are a divided country. We have this flip-flopping government. You have Trump taking things to one extreme. You then have Biden going the exact opposite extreme. Imagine being a diplomat from a foreign country trying to relate to the U.S. uh, in the last, let's say, uh, half a decade. I mean, where are you? Where are you on China? Where are you on this? How are you working that? Do you like NATO? Do you not like NATO? Do you hate Germany? You know, are you mad at Canada? Are you going to defund things you've been funding for years or all of the international concords and uh, concordats and treaties uh, to be? Are, is the U.S. abandoning them? What's going on? And what about climate change? Are you in? Are you out it's very hard to follow what we're doing, and we're becoming a little bit of a laughingstock internationally. Well, this kind of thing only emboldens China. Let me just tell you that almost everything we do where there's some embarrassing sign of weakness and disarray emboldens our enemies. January 6th emboldened our enemies. A bunch of militant middle-aged, angry people dang near took over the U.S. Capitol. Well, what does that say to China? What are their generals thinking? What about when we crash our planes or our submarines come under come up under civilian ships? What 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 happened? What about that? What about when we can't get our stuff together? What about when we find out that there are basically street gangs moving into the ranks of the American military and maintaining their gang affiliations? What about all that? You can be sure that there's not anything I know that China doesn't know, and much 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 more. They're spying on us, watching us constantly, and our military, our military presence, our political presence in the world, our mission in the world has been unstable, questionable in doubt, and they're watching. Now, our military hardware is trailing theirs, is less strategically deployed. Our allies are stepping up. That's a good thing. But in ways that could, well, bring us into conflict with China. Now, nobody who pays attention to the news is lost on the idea that China's our primary opposition, our primary, let's call them enemy in the world. And that uh, both in markets and in military terms, uh, we've got to step up. That's, that's been obvious. But how much threat there is, how much potential damage there is, uh, how much there's a battle going on for hegemony in the next generation uh, is something that I think most Americans are not aware of. So pay attention to the trends. Uh, let's be aware. Let's be on top of it. Those of you in political leadership, military leadership, educate better. Uh, and we, we hope we uh, pray God give you wisdom uh, because China's on the move and it wants to be the primary power in the world and we have got to be ready. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include: The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.